From Mosaic Marketing, this is Small Business Spotlight, the show that gives small businesses a spotlight to what they do. Yeah, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and this is our premiere episode, and it gives me a great pleasure to have a great guest that I'm going to introduce in a few minutes, but I want to tell you a little bit about this guy. This guy, is, you know, he's been... Uh, an on-air radio personality, DJ, and wellness coach. And one of the most unbelievable things that I found out about him is he is also a championship bodybuilder, which is freaking amazing. <laughs> and uh, in, in 2016, 2017, 2018, he uh, took first place in the men's 50 plus oh. masters division Ooh. He's old. He's old. <laughs> of the new england natural bodybuilding championship and i'm going to have this gentleman talk a little bit about himself and he can tell you about but ladies and gentlemen i want to introduce john Callack seville hey john how you doing hey marcel good to be here who are you talking about some guy in the masters 50 plus is that me am i really that old and that was in 19 <laughs> 19? <laughs> I, I, no, no, I'm sorry, about 2018. I'd be 85 now. Yeah, no, no. Right, right, right. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Uh, it's too much fun. We're yeah. having too much fun. Listen, John, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, tell me about this bodybuilding thing. Well, let's go a little bit. We're going to jump around. Sure. The bodybuilding, uh, you know, that championship stuff, really, I mean, I've seen some pictures of you, and, and you were in freaking amazing shape at that time period you still are i mean you look great tell me tell me a bit about it what's that well i've always been in the physical fitness marcel going back to my high school days you know when i played football baseball basketball track and field and always just felt that you know i need to take care of my body if my body you know is taking care of it's going to take care of me so in order to perform at the best possible uh become the best version of myself i needed to take care of the vessel so to speak and i learned that from a lot of mentors at a young age but I became involved with bodybuilding back in the late 80s for the first time. I met somebody over at Gold's Gym in New Haven who took me under his wing and said, man, you have a lot of potential. You could be a great natural bodybuilder. And natural is the key because I was always kind of an anti-drug advocate. I was never a big fan of steroids or muscle growth hormones. I wanted to do it my own way, a healthy way. And he said, that's exactly what he does. So he put me on the proper supplements. Nutrition is 80% of how you look anyway. Good workouts. Did my first couple of shows in the early 90s, did very, very well. So so how were you, I'm not wanting to worry about your, sure. your, your, your age because anybody could Wikipedia you and find out your age, which is interesting about that. But um, you must have been in your 30s. Mm -hmm, that, 30s at the yeah, time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Back in 87, so again, people can Wikipedia my age anyway. So at that time, I was 29, 30 years old. Yeah. And so I became uh, the best version of myself physically, I think, about that time when I hit 30. And it just seemed like a light bulb went off. I wanted to do a show at 30 years old. Got into my show, finished top three or four in my first show. Then I won a couple. And then 20 years ago, after a bit of a hiatus, I won the Tri-State Championship in Terrytown, New York, at a theater I know that you played at yeah. with your band. Yeah. And that was kind of cool. And then I hadn't competed again for a while, but I got the itch. That's 20 years ago. Yeah. This, this month or this year. Right, right 20 years ago. Yeah. Then in late 2015, I, for some reason, I got the itch again. I got tired of being on the cusp 
looking really good, but not exactly where I wanted to be. I needed the challenge. Right. So a gentleman at the gym came up to me once again and said, man, you really should compete. You really should compete. You do really well, especially in the 50-plus category. So I competed in 16, Memorial Day weekend, took first place. And then I did the Tri-State after that. In September, won that. Competed again two years after, won both those shows. But it's not so much about winning the trophy, Marcel, because your body is the trophy. It's just getting up there and proving what can be done. I did, I did it for myself. Right. Just wanted to go up there and look the best I could and be an inspiration that you don't have to look a certain way at a certain age. And plus, just making healthier decisions. Well, you know, and, and you talk about, like, your, your body is the vessel, right? It is. It's, it's, the, it's the place. So, and it helps you in a lot of different ways. When you're physically fit, you're mentally fit, you mm-hmm. know, and it helps you out in making positive decisions and bringing down your stress level. And there's a lot of great things. You don't have to be a bodybuilder to do no, that. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, I mean, you know, but, um, yeah exercise and i i am I'm, I'm a person of you know that goes to the gym at least three four times a week you know and uh i'm walking and running at one time i was doing a lot of running mm-hmm. so it's it's i know that feeling it's a great feeling so you got into the whole bodybuilding and the championship stuff mm-hmm. just basically to really clear your mind right it was i i needed the challenge at that stage of my life you know, things have gone well in the radio biz, my DJ business as a wellness coach, which we'll get to later on. But I figured also, since I was in the wellness industry, I needed to lead by example. So if I'm coaching all these people, I mean, I was a head trainer at a local gym about 10 years ago and had 40 or 50 clients, loved every minute of it. And But I needed to, you know, up my game a little bit because after a while, I seemed to be just kind of going through the motions and I needed the challenge. So I raised my game. And proved to me, man, at this age, I can still, you know, crank it up and do it and not use it. Uh, I mean, age is just a number. Right. It, right, re- right. it really is. I know so many people who are 30, 35, and they feel like they're old. And I said, man, it's just a number. You are what you feel. And I'm hoping to get back up on stage again next year uh, to do it again. Well, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to that, you know. And I know that a lot of women will probably be looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I got a very trusting wife, thank goodness. Well, you do. And Patty, she's a great person. Oh, so she's I tell awesome. you, uh, it was it was nice. We had a, a wonderful uh, met John just uh, the other day at uh, a Sunday brunch with him and his lovely wife Patty. And we both have amazing women in our yeah, lives, we, don't we? We're great. We're, we're we're blessed. Yes, we are. So, John, tell me a little bit more about John Cadillac. How did Cadillac come into you know the word Cadillac? I mean. Seville, I mean, I get it, but how did, you know, that word? Well, back in the early days when I worked at PLR in New Haven and some of these other stations, I was called Big John Seville. And when I started my DJ business, it was called the Big John Seville Record Shows. I had a van with Big John Seville Record Shows on the side. And I mean, it looks so, when you look at it now, it's so antiquated, going back 40 years. But then when I went to 92.5, before it went country, WWYZ, there was a morning show there, and John Seville and one of the guys said Cadillac. And it just kind of stuck. He said, John, he called me Cadillac before my nickname was to be Cadillac. And I went out to do a personal appearance one time, and a bunch of people said, hey, Cadillac. Hey, Cadillac. So I figured there's something there. People love nicknames. I really wanted to get rid of the name Big John Seville because I thought it had a connotation of me being rather large, which, you know, in a certain way, but it wasn't. 
So the Cadillac thing kind of stuck. And so I started using that on the radio back in maybe the late 80s. And uh, to this day, I still use it on the radio at iHeart. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And and do you remember what the show was that you were doing? It was a DJ show? Or no, no. I was actually making an appearance emceeing a concert at the oh. Oakdale Theater. Oh, okay. And some people in the front yelled, Cadillac. And I said, ooh, a light bulb went off. Oh, and so from that point on, I used Cadillac on the radio. Okay. So that's how it came out. Well, that's great. So then um, tell me how you got into radio. Always loved it. Always loved music. Always loved people. When I was a little kid, I used to interview people that would come into our home with a pencil. So anybody would come into my house when I was four or five, six years old, I would take a pencil and inter- interview them. My dad, mom would pick me up, put me up on a chair, and I'd interview people. And then I had my mom and dad come into my room and my friends as I got a little bit older and stack the records up on the 40, the 45s on the record player. And I do my Casey Kasem and I stack 40 records on top. And I say, this is, uh, the John Cadillacs. Well, not bad at that point, but here's the countdown of the top 40 songs in the country right now. And at number 40, blah, 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 blah. So-and-so got to start here and there. And I play it. And then I go to the next one, the next one Then I do a weather forecast. I do a sports scores, and I used to entertain people fast forwarding to high school at football. So did games you like record on a like a reel to reel? Reel to reel. We had those reel to reel. Yeah, I know. Did you? Did you? But we had a cassette deck back then. Okay, so you had a cassette deck. So I record on my cassette decks, and I yeah. still have some of those at home. When you were a little kid. Yeah. So how old were you when you were doing those things? Maybe six, seven, eight. Nine years oh, old. Really? That, so I knew ever since then that, that I wanted to be in the radio business. That was really cool, those 45 records. Yeah. You know, and you had the little player and it had a, uh, like a, uh, a was, column. What was that? It was called? a column, then you, or you had the spindles. Spindles. Right. But the column, you could load up. Like, you could stack the records up. Yeah, about 10 or 15 records, right. right? And then once one finished and the arm actually moved back, mm-hmm. it made the next record Sure. Or you can manually do it or if you, you wanted to. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah. of a certain age know what we're talking about. Right. But even younger folks who may be listening right now, records are more popular now than ever. Vinyl is on the way yeah, back. Vinyl, vinyl, and LPs. I went to Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, and uh, to do some shopping, and they had vinyl on sale of all the top ten records of today. So you'd have the newer artists up there, like you know the Ed Sheerans of the world, the Brunos, the Khalids, and people of that nature, Sean Mendez. You'd be able to buy their records too, which is great. You know, I think it's great and, too, and it's also great because there's something about vinyl. You know, it's a very the, warm yeah. sound. Plus, you're able to read the liner notes, right? And the artwork was so much uh, to look at at the time. Yeah, it was some photography that was, oh, awesome. and, and the stuff that they were doing. Even you know, I mean, some of the photography they didn't have Photoshop or anything like that mm-hmm. back then, so they would actually you know do a lot of really interesting things very much with, so with uh you know uh lighting and mm-hmm. all kinds of colors and oh, I, I used to love go to the record store you know just merle's record rack brings back memories oh, and cutler's yeah. record shop in new cutler's haven cutler's in new haven the music yeah. box in hamden yeah and that's the only place i could find country records at the time because i was one of the few people of my age would buy country right. but i'd have the top 10 country records every week yeah. i have the top 40 pop and rock songs every week so I had, once I had my 40, I would just add the two or three or four songs that would enter the countdown each and every week. And that was my fun time with my dad, mom. They'd just take me to the record store, and I was so, such a geek. I had to have all the hits, and I'd spend my time just reading all the info. The songwriter, where it was recorded, you know, the month it was released, the date, and I memorize it to this day. 
You know what? I got to tell you, that's a it's sort of a story of like where I come from. Mm-hmm. When I was same age, about eight, nine, ten, uh, of course, the Beatles were just coming out, right? That was mm-hmm. like 1967 around that time, yeah. 1968. My father owned a, a variety store. But in the variety store was a jukebox. And so it had all the top 40, 45s mm-hmm. in there, you know. And you play them for a dime, you know, and a quarter. Had three plays, I think. And so the guy would come in every week at the end of the week, like a Saturday, and bring in the new top 10 mm-hmm. or top 20, 45s. Right. And then he would grab the last 100, you know, because it only held like 100. Uh, and so if he brought in 20, he would remove 20 mm-hmm. from the, the bottom, the last 20 of them, because you know, they all went down sort of, right? Right. Or he would have a record that he knew who the top 100 were. The ones that were off the charts, those 20, he would resell them back to my dad for a dime a piece. Wow. So my dad would come home like on Saturday night with a paper bag of like 20, 45s. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I was a drummer and still am a drummer, but I would practice the same way that you practice with the 45s and click, click, <laughs> play over and over all and then flip them over and start all over again right. and play along with those records. For the whole week until yeah. the next ones came out. And I was, you know, back then I was like, again, 1967, 68, 69, a little kid practicing my drums to those mm-hmm. 45s. And they were all the top 40 tunes. And it just brought back so many great memories when you talked about those 45s. Pure joy. pure joy. Pure joy. Pure really joy. Is. Now, so when you were in high school. And then you went to college, right? Mm-hmm. Where did you go? To Southern and UNH. Okay. And then what did you study there? Mass communication and oh, really? also journalism. Oh, good. So then after that, you, did you were you at the college radio station? Worked at the college radio at uh, WSCB at Southern Connecticut, 640 yep. AM. All right. And then I went to WNHU 88.7, University of New Haven. Great radio station. Yeah. Great did, did, How long did you do that for? About a year, yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Somebody happened to hear me on the radio there over at KC101 and WAVZ at the time and needed somebody to work overnights. Ah. Called the radio station, got in touch with me, like what they heard. Boom. Started overnights in New Haven. Wow. So that's how you started Mm -hmm. in New Haven. Yeah. And then, um, so it was just a phone call. Somebody heard you on the radio. Heard me on the radio, which is very, very unusual, calling a college radio station. But the guy who called me is new from the market, moved up from Pennsylvania, happened to be cruising through the radio dial like what they heard when they heard me doing a show and called the radio station to get in touch with me long before cell phones and all that. And the rest is history. Wow. Why can you start? Boom. I could start tonight at midnight. <laughs> so that you did, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was going to school full time. It didn't make any difference. I would do all, take all my courses, night courses, go to the radio station, just sleep on the floor for two or three hours, do my midnight shift until six, get a couple more hours sleep, go back to school. It's crazy, but it's amazing what you want to do, what you can do when you want to. You're young, you're excited, you have, you're ambitious. What was that like when uh, your first real rate? I mean, the the college radio station, and, and I'm not saying that isn't real because 
I've been in some really great college radio stations and they're top notch stuff. Mm-hmm. They've got great equipment and everything else. But here you went from a college station to a professional right. station. What was that like for you? Actually, at the time, the college radio station looked better than the professional one. Really? I, I was at the equipment was that good at the University of New Haven. Wow. It was so good. But opening up that microphone and knowing that I was hitting, you know, so many more people, you know, tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands in yeah. New Haven, even at, you know, midnight. Yeah, uh, because was, people really listen to the radio, like, more than they do today. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that was a big Well, the radio. thing is, you have so much more competition now with Pandora, Spotify, right. iTunes, and people listening to whatever they have, or Sirius XM. Or podcasts like this. Podcasts like this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. back then, it was just an amazing thing, opening up and working at 13 Waves, WAVZ, which was a powerhouse in New Haven at the time. Wow. So that was your early broadcasting, early broadcasting experiences. Um, what was the most exciting, uh, thing that ever happened to you while you were broadcasting? Oh man, there's so many. I could say like among the best times of my career, uh, the most interesting and the most freeing were my days at PLR because we were over on Chapel street in New Haven. And back then, even working the overnights, you never knew who was going to show up, who was going to go up the fire escape to come in the back door from Toad's Place or the Agora Ballroom at the time, some of those hot spots. So I would be on the radio a lot when a lot of these entertainers would come up the back and they just hang out. We had like a little room adjacent to the studio with, with a pool table and couches, and people were doing everything under the roof. I mean, substances uh, <laughs> that you'd never find at a radio station now, but it's like, it was crazy, but they would just stop in, say hello, and had a chance to meet a lot of the folks who were coming up at the time, and we picked our own music back then, which they don't do at radio stations now. It's all playlists are all put together for you, but we were hired as professionals back then. We knew what the format was all about, how far we can push the boundaries, but we knew exactly what the mission statement of the, of the radio station was. So PLR was amazing because we got a chance to really pick our own music and be an artist. And that's fascinating. I loved it. So what what was like one of the crazy experiences? One one story. You have one story that mm. sticks out in your brain of I, I think yeah, I think I think one afternoon I was doing a show at PLR and Def Leopard, Ozzy, and Motley Crue were all in New Haven at the same time and they all showed up at the station. That must have been and wild. They were a blast. I mean they were awesome. Yeah, and they they came in, but they were very uh, very polite. There's a lot of what they do on stage is all part of their shtick, right? But they were kind of shy, laid back, you know, coming in just doing their thing. And I, I was I was really surprised, you yeah. know, how how down to earth they were. Most entertainers are. I mean, I've really never met anyone who's been like really rude or off the cuff. You know, they've, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, really cool. All right, so let's talk about. Fast forwarding, okay, more fast forwarding. You've been in radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you drop out of radio at all? Oh, there are a couple of times I was let go. You know, it's almost like a badge of honor in radio to say you've been let go or fired a few times, and we yeah. all have. Yeah. And that's why I've always been a big fan of multiple streams of income, having, you know, other other 
you know, things on the side, which I've been fortunate to have. They've done very well. But sticking with radio, you know, for maybe two or three years, I was out of radio for a, for a while in the early 2000s. Yeah. And then you got back into it. Got back into it again. Right, of course. Gracefully, you know, yeah. and I've been, I've, I, this gentleman reached out to me back to about 2004 or five and did the morning show at DRC 1029 FM, which is now The Whale. Had a blast doing 50s, 60s, 70s, early 80s. One of my favorite formats. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. And then now you're with who? iHeartRadio 92.5 FM up in Hartford, the country powerhouse up there in the River 105.9, which is classic hits, 70s, 80s, 90s. I remember when classic hits used to be the 50s, 60s, 70s. Now the old, <laughs> now the oldies are, you know, Pat Benatar and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and ACDC. That's oldies now. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It really wow. is crazy. And then you now you also have a DJ business. So you were saying that, what did you call it? Uh, it Big John John's Seville Record Show is back in 1980. I love to see that logo. Do you have any old photographs? I, I do. I do. You have to email me a photo. We'll right. post it. I love to see those. Things. Yeah, I got my start with records. And I remember having suitcases full of uh, 45s and milk crates full of albums. Of people of certain ages, they're nodding their heads right now. Talking about milk crates, too. You right. know, Real milk crates. Milk crates right? Full of, full of, uh, thank goodness for the milkman. And but, those were right, the right size. They were perfect. They perfect. 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 Yeah. Well, you know, I had to make sure you had the, the, the records and make sure you had extra styluses just in case one broke during a gig. Yeah. Well, would, tell a person what a stylus is. Some people might know. Like, like a little needle you put on the record. Right. To make a little play. diamond. A little diamond thing. Thing. Where, yeah. yeah. But it was so much fun. I mean, the excitement of playing at my first. DJ gig back in April of 1980 for the Guilford Police Union. Oh, wow. And I remember that to this day. And it was just so much fun to see the reaction of people in front of me actually dancing and enjoying what I was playing for them. Because I'd done that all my life, you know, for my parents and, and guests who would come to the house with a little record player in my bedroom. Right. But now I'm doing it for like a couple hundred people. Right. And I'm, that immediate feedback. Right. The rush, the adrenaline, right. the connection with the audience. And the music is really getting louder and louder, and people are having a great time. And you're time, bringing people together. And they're having a great time. Right. And you're emceeing over the top of this, right. too. So, you know, you're doing your little shtick that you were doing as a little kid. Exactly. In front of hundreds of people. Because anybody can just stand there and play music, but to engage your crowd right. and get involved with them and have that interplay, that's what develops that relationship and trust with an audience. Well, I've read so many... Uh, testimonials about your DJ business. What is it called? Now it's John Seville Entertainment Company. John Seville Entertainment Company. So I've, I've read a bunch of, uh, on your website, which is, uh, com, put together John by this Caddyman. great company called Mosaic. Thank you oh, much. okay. We'll talk about Marketing, that. Marketing, printing, signage. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about <laughs> Mosaic and, and why you chose Mosaic and all that. But let's, um, the DJ stuff. You now do weddings. Yeah, and weddings, parties, parties, anything that requires a great DJ. Restaurants. Yeah, we do restaurants. We've done a lot of work with local restaurants. Uh, we've done, you know, theme parties, you know, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, yeah. any kind of backyard barbecues. And then I also unions. heard that you'd like have a little country line dance party. We've done thing. a lot of country, country, country so big, yeah. especially nowadays. And yeah. people just enjoy that because people get together and they just. You know, everybody from teenagers to grandparents can get together and enjoy the music. And line dancing is very, very yeah. popular. So your entertainment company also, you have more than one DJ. Working the five DJs you. just hired one, looking yeah. to hire another one later this year. Yeah, so so you can cover a lot of bases. and, yeah. and But 
if they really want somebody special, they have to get John Callax a bill, right? I, I, it's still fun. Like my, my bride said to me the other day, what are you thinking about just, you know, phasing out a little bit, you know, letting the guys take over a little bit more. I said, babe, as long as people still want me at their gigs, I'm still relevant. It's still fun. I mean, I know all the new music as well as any teenager because I'm really into it. I, I've, I've never been a musical snob. I'm like you, Marcel. I love all genres of music, and I know how to piece it together and drop it in the right place. Yeah, you definitely am, is our a musicologist. Right, I mean, I, I've, some of the things in the history and the backgrounds of the players and people, I, I love talking to you about all that because you really do know the players, the uh, performers, the uh, writers, the band members. You you know everybody, and, and uh, you do it because you research it. And I know you do. It's, it's, it's really fun that you can have that. That makes it very special to people when you can do that. And I'd love to be able to share a lot of that with the audience without getting too geeky, so to speak. Right. right. But especially with a, a nostalgia type of radio station like the river yeah. from the seventies, eighties and nineties, I ask myself all the time, how can I make a song that I've played hundreds of times and people have heard it hundreds of times. How do I make that song sound new to that listener? Right. And of course, a lot of younger people are coming in now and they're in the journey and all these other bands too, the go-go's and, Katrina and the Waves and George Michael and Wham, they're discovering these artists and they're being introduced to the format as well and loving the same music their parents grew up with. So it's a really interesting paradigm. It's a great time to be a DJ now because parents and their children are loving the same music and it's making my job on the radio and also my DJ gigs a lot easier than it's ever been because now kids are not looking at, oh, that's old, that's my mom and dad's music. They love Journey and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Brian Adams and Hall and Oates as much as, you know, we do. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Very, very cool. So, again, if anybody's looking for a DJ for uh, your wedding or your party or even a, a backyard barbecue. Sure. Uh, this is the, he's, you, got, you bring all the equipment and lighting and everything else. We have it all. Oh. Whatever people need, we have oh, it all. That's cool. So, then you found mosaic ah yes i did yeah you know, uh, you know how'd you get into uh choosing mosaic i needed the facelift with my dj uh website uh-huh. yeah and you know the website previous was really good you know the guy who did it was fantastic but then i was pr- approached by al canosa the amazing al canosa at a couple of networking events here in the Branford guilford area and he approached me and said, you know, I think we can do some interesting things with your website. You know, he says, uh, we need to kind of like, you know, raise the level a little bit more. And we think we can do that. And I met with Al. Then I met with you, obviously, and got to know you a little bit better. You and I have known each other by reputation for years. And I had a lot of respect for you and the type of person you are. And also Al, top notch. And you said, here's what we can do for you. And I looked at it. We got a chance to develop relationships. You kind of got inside my head. What is my vision for, for the business and where it's going. And we connected. And boy, I'll tell you, ever since you guys have taken over, uh, we've gone to a whole new level. Yeah, your website looks great. And Mosaic does website development and SEO. and Right. I mean, you know, we talk marketing, printing, signage. I mean, you guys do it all. Right. And now we have this great podcast, Help Small Businesses with the Small Business Spotlight. It's one of the things that you also do is you're a spokesperson. So you do radio commercials, right? Yeah. Uh, voiceover stuff, mm-hmm. right? 
and now live in-person events. And then also now you start talking about a little video too of you on-screen spokesperson, which you've been doing commercials right. for a long while. At least audio versions, but right. now we're getting into the video end of it. Right. So tell me about, you know, this spokesperson thing. Well, I, I, it seems like, you know, if a business wants to get out there, it's all about developing a relationship, you know, and a good spokesperson is vital to any business wanting to build their profile and their reputation. So Marcel, if they can put a, a face to the organization and can effectively communicate that message uh, to the public and the media, you're more apt to make that connection. And people do business with people that they know, they like, and they feel they can trust. And your company at Mosaic is able to put that together and make it come across that way, just connecting the right people with the right business. But sitting with that business person and saying, what do you want to accomplish? What's your mission statement? Uh, what is your goals? And putting that message across and finding the right spokesperson who can do that and, and just gear it toward that audience. And that's where we've been able to team up on a couple of occasions. Uh, we did some something for you, for Mosaic. And I know we've had several other people reach out to us and say, hey, listen, could you do the same thing for us? And of course we can. Right. And you've got a great voice. And you look great on camera too. So all those things are really beneficial. And you're right. I mean, it's it's really important to to put a face on that organization you know, in some way. Put a face that people actually can see and feel a new way of experiencing the product or service or whatever it is that you're talking about. And real estate people have had this down for a long time by putting their, their pictures on their business cards or where they do billboards. You know, they have their picture up there and you get a chance to see that person, you know, and, and you feel like you know them better than just a, a name. So to develop that relationship, you and I both know, Marcel, that successful people are able to be like chameleons. They're able to adapt to anybody, their personality, what they're all about. And that's by getting out there in the public and meeting people, going to networking functions, listening to people, finding out what their needs are, and addressing how you can help them with that need. And that's something that I've always enjoyed. I love meeting with people and letting them talk. And I can find ways to help them. Now, one of the things that you've been helping us with, too, is the digital signage stuff. Mm. And that's all new to you, right? Basically, you didn't yeah. really, you didn't know much about dig digital signage and you started working with us and becoming a spokesperson and that service that we offer uh, to our business, small business customers. That is a great benefit, especially to a lot of your restaurants out there, your coffee shops, because let's say it's a digital signage and it has the capability to quickly implement new sales, offers, products, but... When you think about it, Marcel, it's the best way to keep your brand consistent across different locations. And everything's about consistency with your marketing. You want it to be consistent, whether it be on your menus, in your restaurant, uh, on your signage at the coffee shop, whether it be billboards. And if I can use an example, guacamoles. I mean, what a great, beautiful billboard, a couple of those you have with that wonderful restaurant. And it, I mean, it's top notch too. So their product does benefit, you know, it's consistent with the billboards and everything else. Everything's top notch. And we're also putting digital signage in, in their restaurant right, right inside of it. So it's, uh, you know, change quickly and automatically from one day to another. That's one of the 
benefits of having digital signage. I mean, it's, it's, it can be, uh, say it's a price list today and then it changed or you have a sale, you could change it automatically and be consistent from like, if you have multiple locations, like you just said, I mean, if uh, they have a location in Milford and they also have a location in Brantford, the same information can be changed instantaneously at both locations simultaneously because we do everything over the internet. And I love what you do here at Mosaic because, you know, business owners want to focus on money-making activities. They want to focus on servicing their customers and you're able to take care of whatever they need. Like I know with my DJ business, I don't want to worry about the day-to-day stuff of updating my website and getting pictures and video up there. I can say, Marcel, Albert, I send you pictures, you know, PDF files or pictures that I want up on the site or reviews from Wedding Wire and The Knot. Yeah, we just had a great review on The Knot. Fabulous review. And that next uh, hour after you got it, it was on your website. Yeah, see, and that's the kind of stuff that I don't have the patience to do. I know my personality. I want to get out there and shake hands. And well, I guess you can shake hands in some cases now. But I want to get out there metaphorically and just meet people and get to know my customers and you know make new friends. I don't want to necessarily be sitting in my office doing all the computer day-to-day stuff. And that's where you come in. And it's just made my life a whole lot easier and more productive. Yeah. Well, we, we love doing it. We really do. And that's uh, one of the things that we we really cherish, like working with customers like you and uh, clients all over the state of Connecticut and uh, actually all over the United States now that we've been doing this stuff. So it's, it's been great. And the digital display stuff, you know, um, is an attention getter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really a neat thing about it because when a customer comes into a, say a restaurant or, um, or a lobby of a, um, a business and they see the digital signage now, they have their attention, you know. And once you've got their attention, that's going to lead to sales at the same time. And there are so many missed opportunities out there. When I go into a certain restaurant, I see TV sets everywhere. And then some of these TVs have soap operas on them or something else. And it's like, you're missing an opportunity here. You know, with your digital menus or billboards, you're going to be able to have specials of what's going on. Or if you want to promote Cinco de Mayo coming up, or you have St. Patty's Day, whatever, you can put things up there and you can also have, you know, updated weather forecast in your area, this and that. It could be very topical and it can change and it can get your message across and brand exactly what you have. You have an audience there in your location and you've got their attention. Take advantage of it. Right. And then it's also people just walking by right. or waiting in line mm-hmm. because, you know, um, occupied time feels shorter than unoccupied time. Yes, it does. So when people are waiting in line, why do you want them to like look at, you know, a television show when you can have them be looking at some of your sales or your product line or maybe even like introduce one of your sales staff by, hey, this is the salesperson of the month. Or, exactly. Or something like that. That's right. Where then they can get to know somebody and then when they walk up, it's, they already know the person's name. And we just saw your picture up on that uh, digital billboard. Wow, that's yeah, you? Yeah, the digital signage in the in your business. and Or, you know, you've got coffee uh, that is specially made for, um, for uh, October, which is pumpkin spice, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then maybe in Christmas you have peppermint coffee. Right. 
and you can change it right away. St. Patty's Day, you promote your corned beef and cabbage that's coming up. Exactly. Whatever it may be. Yeah, so it's it's really an attention getter. Mm-hmm. So digital signage and what Mosaic is doing with digital signage is fantastic, and it, we love having you as a, our spokesperson talking about digital signage, and I'm glad you've learned a little bit more about that, and I hope people listening in for a little bit about that. And, uh, and this whole time with you, John, has been fabulous. I love you so much. You're such a great person. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the Mosaic team and being our first guest on our first podcast, Mosaic's Small Business Spotlight. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thank you very much. Marcel, back at you. I love you, too. I love Alan. I love everything about you guys in this amazing company here at Mosaic. Thanks, John. 